Hello and welcome to the Train Brave podcast, the podcast put in place to give athletes a voice and to explore topics often not talked about. This series, we're incredibly excited to be supported by Simprove. Simprove believes that living your best, feeling your best and looking your best starts from within and we could not agree more. Their unique water-based food supplement containing live and active bacteria was created to support a healthy gut balance. They believe that this can help you gain the most from your life. This is what we're all about here at Train Brave. Want to find out more about Simprove? Head to the website link in our show notes. And speaking of getting the max of life, let's go into today's episode, shall we? Hi guys, welcome back to another Train Brave podcast. I'm Rini McGregor. And I'm Chris Hendy. And I'm Rory Brown. There we go. Three of us, yet again. Good to be back. Team again. <laughs> so guys, um, today we're talking about um, something I think a lot of you will hopefully find incredibly helpful. Um, I know that we've all been getting quite a lot of messaging. It's a difficult time of year. We're in a global pandemic. Everybody's struggling. And I think one thing that we know is that when life is so uncertain and difficult and complicated, everybody wants some sort of anchor but obviously the people that we generally tend to work with um, will focus on food and exercise and body image as their anchor so today's session or today's episode is really about trying to understand some of the mechanics of what happens when you go on this journey of recovery particularly from a very restrictive eating disorder so one of the questions I get asked again and again and again and again is how do I cope with my hyperphagia? So what do we mean by hyperphagia? Like hyperphagia is basically the medical term used for excessive hunger. And what normally happens is that when you have been restrictive, um, both from an energy point of view, but also maybe your weight has been a bit lower than it needs to be, then the body does tend to go through a process of hyperphagia. And this is very, very common, but it also is really fearful for those people that have had this perceived sense of control. Now I'm putting perceived in there because that's what an eating disorder is. It's a perceived sense of control because in reality, you're controlling nothing that's actually going on in your life, but it feels like you are and it provides that you know, that false refuge that we've talked about so often on this podcast. And so what happens is the, those emotions, I suppose those feelings, I guess it's a physical feeling, isn't it? It's a physical need that mm-hmm. kind of comes in and, and makes you want to eat more. It does feel incredibly scary because suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm out of control. And what if I can't stop eating? And that's people's belief system is that I'll never be able to stop eating. And I'm, my weight's going to keep going up. And I guess what I want to do today is kind of help you understand the physiology and the science behind it. So a lot of the really good literature around eating disorders, recovery, how the body responds to restrictive eating uh, is actually based on that one major study, which is the Minnesota study. And from that, there's been loads more studies that have been done to kind of confirm what they found there. And what we noticed with that is that this need for excess calories is really important. And it's important because the body's way of trying to get energy in because it's been in such a restrictive phase. And basically, while you may have an idea of the weight that feels acceptable to you, 
that might not be the weight that your body wants you to be. Very easy sort of have this ideal in your head because we live in a world full of ideals and ignore the fact that maybe your genetics and your phenotype and you know your your culture and your ethnicity doesn't take that into consideration you know and I think it's so important to remember that 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 is a big part of where you're going to end up and so what happens is the body needs to try and hit certain parameters so I've spoken a lot about leptin before and we know that leptin is the hormone that potentially controls all of this. It controls weight, it controls body fat, it controls the rest of your hormones. So when leptin goes back to normal, this is often when periods return in women and testosterone goes back to normal in, in guys. Like this is kind of what happens. But leptin is obviously very, very closely linked to your fat mass or your body fat percentage or, you know. And, and so what we find is that the body does need a certain level of this fat mass before it can then trigger fat-free mass. So what is interesting is, I'm sure you guys get this question all the time, is how do I put on weight the right way? How do I make sure that, you know, I don't, I don't put on fat, but I put on muscle? Well, the answer is you can't because the only way you're going to make that muscle and get to that number that your body wants to be is if you actually go through the process of putting on this fat mass. Now that does not mean what you guys are thinking, right? We're not talking about you becoming obese or significantly overweight or anything. We're talking about an essential amount of fat your body, your individual body needs in order for these physiological pathways to be triggered. And that is so important. Now, the studies have shown that in women, this needs to be a minimum of around 21%, but that doesn't mean you will be 21% because every woman is different. So some women need to be 24%, some women need to be 26%, some women need to be 30%, and that is still all within the normal range. And so it's really important. And for guys, it tends to be just above 10%. So it's again, it's quite high when you think about what you're probably trying to meet in terms of an ideal, what is always constantly being kind of told to us on social media about you know body fat percentages and ideals and everything and and the reason why you have to hit this fat mass is until you hit this fat mass your body is not going to then put down the lean muscle and it's that lean muscle mass believe it or not that is then the trigger for hormones to go back to normal so i have just spoken for a number of minutes about the science so i'm going to open it up to to chris and rory kind of to add or ask questions or, or whatever. But I think like, hopefully I've explained that this process is really important. If you are somebody who wants to, you know, get your hormones back on track, you want to be free of your, um, your demons, I guess, if you want to call it that, you want to be free of your um, issues around food and body image, this is going to be an important part of it, isn't it? Because until your hormones return to normal, until you're kind of where your body wants to be, it's never going to be able to signal to you mm. that I've had enough. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. Like, th thanks so much for, for, for all of that awesome information. Uh, it kind of ties in nicely with what we were discussing last week about what it means to be healthy. 
Because again, we, we use this expression, didn't we, that health is not an image. And that's one of the most challenging things that we come across with the individuals who we work with is that they have a desire to look a certain way. And what we need to understand is that everybody, everybody's body, bodies, right, are different. And we are designed to look and perform differently. That there is not one, there, there is not a one size fit all approach to this. And that is one of, and, and Chris, you'll be able to relate to this, having the, the experience working within the health and fitness industry, that's one of the challenges that we're facing because individuals are seeing something which is actually unattainable for their bodies. I mean, I know from personal experience, you know, at the height of my disordered eating habits. I got down to I got down to single digits. Okay, so I'm going to say I didn't do skin caliper tests or, or, or you know uh, any any form of of um, uh, scientifical testing to do any scans anything like that. However, I would say I was probably around eight percent. Okay, that's lean, really, really, really lean. Now I know friends who genetically are just predisposed to those natural low levels of body fat and they function fantastically. They've got incredibly high metabolisms, their level of NEAT, so non-exercise activity and thermogenesis is incredibly high, etc. Their set of circumstances was incredibly different to mine. I could not, I could not sustain those low levels of body fat. I had no, I had no libido. My sleep was crap. I was very anxious. I was thinking about food all the time. My body was not primed or, or prepped to be those low levels of body fat. And I think this is obviously something that we're going to discuss in today's session is the premise of body image, because it comes back to accepting. I accept who I am and how I look. Now, I would say then on, on the, the flip side, I having the, the number of years experience under my belt of things like weight training and, you know, a, a consistent healthy amount of energy to, to provide me with the fuel needed to, to perform the amount of training that I do, I have quite a lot of muscle mass. Now, again, it can be easy for a lot of other people like, oh, like, I want to have that much muscle mass. And it's like, that's, it's hard work. Now you you might not be able to have as much muscle mass as me. Like, remember I'm, I'm like six foot one, you know, I'm quite a large build. I've got quite broad shoulders. My body again is very different to yours. It, it comes back and, and I really want to start talking about the body image side of things because it comes back. One of the biggest problems that we're sort of summarizing from this is the comparison of self. As soon as I start to compare who I am and what I have on a genetic level with other people and say, well, I want to look like that. Can I, I'm going to jump in. Can I jump in there too? So yeah, of course, we, man, of course. We talk about phenotypes and like, I think this, the, the cruelty of obviously comparing yourself with Serena, so like this is a, like when you, when you were growing up, were you, did you find yourself comparing yourself with blonde, blonde tall ladies or, you know, God. You know like yeah. this is the, this is the cruelty, right. Of like me trying to be like uh, something, you know, trying to build muscle, like, you know, and it's, 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 it's much harder. And when, I think it starts with obviously that comparison. It always comes back to that. And like, especially when, you are comparing yourself with, as I say, Rory, like when you're looking at those percentages there, really, you talked about 21%, 26%, like there's a range there, but what's that range based on? Like, what is that range based on? It's based on what, somatotype, phenotype, what is that? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's, a, it's an average of normal women, like where everything functions normally. And yet it's not the image that is portrayed in the health and fitness world or on social media isn't it like you look at so I think I think what's interesting is that it's really difficult to because you can have two women who are both 21% but still look different 
Yeah, and know? still operate differently, right? Like, they, one could have a period, one could might not have a period, and it's not exactly. fair, right? That's that's not no. fair. Oh, well, but also, their, I, think, I think also like you know the where where you distribute energy as well, right? So mm. I mean, you've, you're talking about you know your physique, and yeah, you've got you know you've got really good muscle mass, you're in great shape, and other you know guys would look at you and go, well, that's that's really cool. Similarly, I know women look at me and and do the same thing, but. I know that there is like I am predisposed to certain body things that happen. Like if I, you know, I can work, I can, I have to work really hard to get any sort of muscle mass as, as Chris knows, I have to work really hard. Like it's taken a long time for me to put muscle mass down mainly because of, of my body type, but where and, I do. And your, and your level of concurrent activity. So the fact yeah. that you, you run, you run yeah. 90% of the week and then strength train. 10% of the week maybe so yeah. that's always so going to make fact, things harder yeah but also where I put down lean muscle mass is predisposed mm. genetically I can't change that you know that's something you can't really do much about no. you know like people say you know this whole thing about abs and, and having abs like some people will just never have them it doesn't matter how lean they are they just unless they literally are skin and bones they're not going to have them because genetically they're not meant to and that's okay because as you're, you know, as we've been trying to sort of say, the whole point of this conversation today is that your body should not define you. Mm. And when you have, when we talk, I love the term, I don't know if you guys use it. I love the, I love the word and how it sounds as well is this total embodiment. I love mm. it. I just think it sounds beautiful. It, it kind of says it for what it is, is that when you have total embodiment, it just means that you see yourself as just one like your mind and your body is one so you don't look at yourself and go I would be happier if mm. you just know that you are who you are and that's enough in this world mm. and that's sufficient and that's it yeah, and I think cool. very few people have that but I think it's it's so beautiful when you get there Mm. And, and something that we were discussing uh, on our team meeting this morning, you know, we, we speak a lot, Rini, an exercise that you and I will do for our clients is, is looking at this sort of values exercise. And it's a great way of finding out how much energy and, and time and focus is being taken away from their life because of things like uh, uh, an, an obsessive attitude towards training or exercise, etc. And th this is something that I think a lot of people don't talk about enough of is that it's almost looking at what it takes. What would it take to get to those uh, low levels of body fat, for example? So again, I'm using myself as an example. When I was incredibly low levels of body fat, my life was miserable. My life was completely miserable. I couldn't go to social dues because you can't go because, you, you, again, physiologically, you're so damn hungry. You're just priming yourself to binge when you're there. And you wouldn't go out and drink with your friends because, again, alcohol's a no-no. You, know, you, you miss out on so many fun aspects of life because you are all consumed with this idea. And, again, it's, it's that preconceived idea based on a story I was telling myself that if I look like this or when I look like this, then I'll be happy. So you can understand how damn disappointed I was when I got there. And I was like, oh. I am miserable. All I want to do, all I want to do is sleep and eat right now. The last thing I want to do is train. The last thing I want to do is go for another walk, whatever it was that I was doing at the time. And I saw there was a really cool post uh, the other day from Sonny Webster. He's a uh, he's a GB uh, Olympic powerlifter. 
He is wicked, absolutely wicked. And I love his theory on life. And, and he put a picture up of himself because someone had asked him the question, what body fat percentage are you? Again, always an interesting question. It's like, why do, why do people ask those kind of questions? And he put this, he put this as, as his answer, which I loved. Body fat is happy, who cares, social, loves beer, trains hard, eat loads. And, and he did this really wonderful post about how, you know, again, his idea of health is about living a, a, the lifestyle that he wants to live. He wants to have some drinks throughout the week. He wants to have a, a takeaway or whatever with his friends or girlfriends during the week. He wants to be able to eat loads. That's what I want to do. So if that means that I have to sacrifice 5% body fat, I don't give a shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. But don't you think, but don't you think it, it's like everything in life, like people have this perception of something and then they need to kind of get to that point to realize, actually, this is nothing what I thought it would be. You know, like it's, because if you, when you, when you look, actually look into the sports that, that work at this bodybuilding, for instance, you know, look at the bodybuilders who, who cut, who, who work their way down to these single digit percentages of body fat. They will, every single one of them will tell you that is the worst part of their entire training, like training lifestyle, because they have to sacrifice mm. everything. And they say the libidos goes, you know, they, everything drops off the grid. Like they, they actually go internal, they internalize everything because they, they don't really want to talk to people because it's so, like, everything's, a, everything's a struggle. So when you're kind of aware of that kind of behavior, like the more you look into that, the more you realize actually like it's not where you want to be. And as I say, just to echo what Rory was saying, once you're there, you kind of realize, but it's hard to like, when you're when you're you've got to get there to then realize actually it's not what you want and then to come back from that but I think you have to be really careful because when you're talking about the people that are really affected by their eating disorder like properly affected they're not the weight trainers they're not the people that know that they're going to go back up these are people that are still in search of that answer yeah. and keep that I know from myself my eating disorder was never about body image ever it was, it, it was always about feeling like the biggest disappointment in the world and never feeling good enough. And the, the, the fixation on getting thinner, I think, was just kind of part and parcel of it. Because if I'm honest, I had no idea how bad a situation I was in until I was taken to hospital. Mm. And only then was I like, shit, I fucked up. Right. Like, like that, that's that I had, I honestly, honestly, I'm not just sat here, you know, trying to make this. I honestly, it was never something I looked in the mirror and ever thought that I was, I, I couldn't really see. I couldn't see what, what everybody was worried about. And I never realized how bad it had got because for me, it was never about, it was about not being good enough. And so that perfectionist mindset that had also developed alongside mm. to help me cope with my situation that was on fire. Like it didn't matter where I got to. It was constantly, constantly telling me to go further, to go further. Like I would have died if I'd carried on because I just didn't realize. What was that strengthened by? Just like, was that like, you know, how like nowadays we've got to see got lots of role, well, role models or people, influencers around us that are kind of strengthening this skinny skinny thin kind of thing uh image but what was strengthening you at that time like, no, that for, me, for me it was not about body image it was no. about mm. it was about wanting to feel better but mm. never getting to the place of feeling better it was nothing to do with what i looked like and i guess that's it's really important to highlight that because not everybody's the same and yes sometimes it's absolutely. not going in search of a physique it's about going in search of a place that feels better 
but not realizing that it's the perfectionist mindset of yours that never lets you get there. And I think the reason I say that is because, again, when we talk about recovery and we talk about hitting certain physical parameters, as so many people say often, is that they can hit the physical parameter they've been given, but they still don't feel better mm. because for total recovery, you have to also learn to tame the perfectionist mindset, mm. which is the bit that's really important. So that, not, sorry, so sorry, sorry, sorry but, I was going to say, really, if it wasn't image, really, was it what was supporting that feeling? Like what was the what like emotion? Like if it wasn't the image side of things. What was supporting that 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 thought process? You know, like how you were kind of, you know, you just thought you were on the right road. Then what was around you? What do you think would it was around you to kind of guide you or con continue to do down that road? What was kind of giving you the the guidance, as it were? So if you if you if you look at the definition of anorexia nervosa. It's basically the fear of eating and the fear of appetite and the fear of, um, and the nervosa bit is the anxiety. Mm. So for me, what had happened is that very, very classic. I lost a, a lot of body weight very quickly and physically and psychologically, my brain changed. So for me, there was actually huge anxiety in changing my behaviors. It was never to do with body image. It was always to do with the fear of if I let go, because that was the thing, isn't it? It's that whole letting go. That's when people talk about being out of control. If I let go of my limiting beliefs, then something awful was going to happen. And I guess now with loads of knowledge and study and experience and work in this field, I appreciate that the fear that I was avoiding was the fear of judgment, the fear of criticism, the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment, the fear of not being good enough, because that's mm. it. That's my Achilles heel. Mm. And I, you know, I put that out there, still my Achilles heel. But now I understand mm. it, I can work on it. Mm. You know? And, so, and I can relate to everything you've just said then, Rini. It's it's, it's you know, it, it can <laughs> we can't just shoehorn an approach that says right eating disorders body image they both go hand in hand it, it's recognizing again when we look at your example it wasn't about food it, it, those are the control coping mechanisms to get you through this period of, of distress uncertainty whatever it is that you're going through and and mine was the same in terms of I directed my focus onto an image because that that it was what that image represented to me it was that image where it, where it was like when I get there then I will be lovable because I had just come out of a turbulent relationship where I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel special and it knocked my confidence and I lost who I was and I lost my identity that's what got me so deep into what it was that I was doing it, it you know same with you recovery started when I was suddenly aware that I actually had nothing to do with any of those aspects to do with food to do with training it, I, I was using those as a I was using those as a coping mechanism yeah I think for me like for me you have to remember that mine came on the back of sexual abuse so there was a lot of mm. hatred towards my body a lot of hatred and a lot of I wanted to be as insignificant as I had been made to feel that was what my, so mine was very different. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to have experienced what I've experienced. Like an eating disorder is always going to be different because sometimes it is, uh, it is about that feeling of unworthiness and inadequacy that then you go in search of an image or a way of eating to try and attain that worth and it, and you never get there. It can hundred percent be that. But in my case, it was not, it was very much my way of, of telling the world how, fucking pissed off I was and how 
angry I was and how much I hated myself because I felt so much shame and so much disgust that I didn't know how else to, to, to demonstrate that. So for me, it was very, very different. And in terms of like, but, but I do identify with the whole body image and aspect because as I got, and I suppose when I was in that functional phase where I thought I was okay because I was functional, but actually that's where probably for me more, I went in search of worth through my body image, if I'm honest. And that was probably more in my sort of, I don't know, kind of late twenties kind of time, probably that sort of time. So I think like, it, I guess, I mean, we've sort of diverted, <laughs> gone off track a little bit, but I think it's really important for people to understand that it, it doesn't matter why, but the restrictive process is still the same mm. and the recovery is still the same. And no doubt, Rory, you also went through phases of hyperphagia in the same way as I did. And it was incredibly frightening. Mm. And it's frightening because at some stage you do end up probably focusing on an ideal because of modern society and the world we live in where we are image focused. And if you're not somebody who's comfortable in your own self, it's very easy to, to project that onto, yeah, but that person's lovable, that person's accepted, that person's successful because of the way they look, because that's just how our brains tend to function. It's not true, but that's what you do. I was going to ask, there's a question I've written down here because I wanted to get it in at some point, because it, and there's talk about that young, I mean, restrictive behaviours, I mean, when they, if they start so early, will it kind of, could it potentially obscure someone's like perception, perception of their real self? So like, you know, if they were to start so early on in their in their childhood with those restrictive behaviours for whatever reason, like surely that behaviour then would, they're never really going to see a true, true value of themselves because they've obviously never let themselves just be. Does that make sense? Kind of. I guess like the thing is, the reason why you're in that place in the first place is because of the fact that you've always had quite a low self-worth for whatever reason, whether that's because of your experiences as a child because of the way your family functioned, because of how you interpreted what your guardian said to you. And that doesn't, this is not about portioning blame on your, your parents or your guardians. This is just about how you interpret the world. And some of that's personality, which is why we know that there is a potential genetic link. And some of that is, is situational. Um, and some of that is then triggered because of the, the modern society we live in. So I think it's a combination of all those things. Like, you know, I I definitely, when I look back, probably up until the point in where my life changed, I was a very carefree, happy-go-lucky girl that my everybody would say that about me. Like I was, you know, up until the age of eight, I was happy. I was content. I was actually quite tubby, but I didn't give a shit because I was just happy and loved my life and always got involved in everything. And then when my life changed that's where things started because I couldn't cope with what had happened and I didn't know how to, and I wasn't handled particularly well. And so this is where then the sense of disgust, the sense of unworthiness really kicked in for me. And I suppose my behaviors came a lot later. They came at a time of, you know, when you're a teenager and I think everything just falls apart anyway. So it, it, it's, it's a difficult one, I guess, to explain like properly, but that's, kind of and I'm not saying that like I said I'm not saying that everybody has to have followed my pattern because it's so varied but fundamentally something in your life will have changed or caused you to view yourself 
in a negative manner. And for some reason, you don't have the framework or the support or the structure within you to be able to manage or challenge or cope with that. And this is why you go in search of something else. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I think with obviously with your you in you, you had a significant moment in your life that changed your direction. And Rory, same with you. Like you, you're talking about a, a moment that kind of really di- diverted you both. I guess what I was saying about that that there's early onset there is the guidance of obviously social media now, the the, the wealth of the, the media where you are a young, impressionable young girl now, and you're you've got phone in your hand and you are you're hit with image after image. You are sitting there. You're a certain type of woman. You have a certain physiology, but you're looking at someone on your phone that is very different from you, and you're doing that comparison thing. And it start and it force feeds you that kind of behave those behave and it starts to make you feel unworthy. And then your behaviour starts to then move down that road. I guess what I'm saying is there is like from that moment on, that's their shift, and then they are then obviously then that begins to snowball and to the point where they get to a point where they no longer actually they they can they never look at themselves in the mirror the same way because they, they're comparing themselves with this person who is unattainable yeah yes but not everybody's affected by looking at images on social media oh definitely no but so it's, it's a certain type of personality is a certain type of person that is affected because you know i look at i look at my girls and they are not affected by images on social media. They have no desire to look like Kim Kardashian or whoever is the latest person. They have no, they're, they're very, they have that total embodiment of who they are. And, mm. and that I, I look at that and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like obviously very happy and, and very kind of um, satisfied that that's how they are because that's how you should be. But I also, when I think about how I was at their age, total alien to me so I, I think it's really important like you're not going to just suddenly develop an eating disorder by looking at images I think that's really important to understand yeah. it's about how you perceive yourself and yes I think we all know we've seen the studies that exposure to more social media definitely has a negative impact on our self-image mm. and definitely has an impact on our are, you know, in terms of us comparing more, 100%. But does that always lead to dissatisfaction with self? No. And I think we, we have to be quite clear about that. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Really, no. I, I appreciate we've gone off on quite a, a lot of different <laughs> tangents in today's session. Uh, I want to come back to the, the hyperphagia side of things because yeah. uh, one of our FAQs, you know, something that I get from a lot of the girls is... Um, again, this fear of, of weight gain. And I use the term weight because really I'm going to pass it over to you. There are weight restoration is not just looking at body fat in isolation. We've got to consider there are a number of different variables. And so when I'm talking to my individuals and they're saying, Oh, you know, I'm kind of fearful because I've gained X kilos. And it's like, hang on a second, let's explore what that actually means. But because Let's look at, you know, you're now fully stocked up on with with uh, uh, glycogen stores, uh, increased red blood cell count, bone density, muscle tissue, and yes, some body fat, which you need. You need to have, I want to really reiterate that point that really drawn out from today's session. We all need to have a level of body fat for normal physiological and biological functions. So, so really, I'm going to throw that back over to you because I want you to, to sort of delve into that in a bit more detail for us when it comes to weight restoration and what that looks like. 
So it's going to be different for everybody, right? But obviously, weight restoration does, you know, it does involve exactly what you said, like capillaries being, you know, developed to, to hit the, the muscles and to deliver oxygen and blood to the muscles and bone density and your brain. Let's not forget the brain, right? Mm. Like when you have severely restricted, your brain shrinks. So mm. you have to restore the brain in order, like the gray and white matter, that's the bit, it's quite heavy and we lose it. And that when that starts to come back, that's when you actually start to notice that you can be a little bit more rational. You can start to work with your practitioner and really do the challenge. You know, we, we've all, they can't focus on you because the brain is, you know, the brain is not working very well. So we mustn't forget the brain. But also I think like, what I find fascinating is that, as I said, a lot of the people we work with will, will have a potential number and they always work on a number that they're kind of ready mm. to hit. And as they get closer, they get more and more nervous, more and more scary because that number is like what they've, they've put their, their definition in. That's, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go. And sometimes the number's been plucked by a practitioner and sometimes it's just what they have decided is, is what it is. And you can never even know, even as a practitioner, you're kind of, I don't really set target weights because you can never really know where someone needs to be. But I think what's fascinating is that then what can happen at this stage is if at that point, what I notice is if they haven't worked with a practitioner who can really help them to understand what's going on for them psychologically mm. and behaviorally, this is when they tend to pull back. This is when they tend to restrict or they start to increase their training again. So what happens is the body goes, what? Oh, here we go again. You might not be as low a weight as you were, but the body goes, nope, not doing this again. And again, your metabolic rate starts to decrease. And actually what you can find is that you hold on to a lot more fluid. Like a lot of people talk about being quite edematous because the body's breaking down protein again it's breaking down muscle again to deliver the amount of energy that person needs and so it starts to collect fluid like you would see you know in in, in any sort of situation where the osmotic pressure mm. needs to kind of be equalized so you know we i hear about people who say you know she's not really eating that much but her weight keeps going on or his weight keeps going on and don't really understand why. And often it's because that individual hasn't worked with the theory, hasn't worked with the, the need to understand why they needed their behaviors in the first place. And there's still too much focus on attaining worth through a number. Mm. And, and that, and then, and so what the science says is that actually, if you can overcome that, if you can go with it, and you can you can follow your hyperphagia and you can deal with it. Actually, what happens is you may. Some people don't. Some people do. And I have no idea why some people do and why people some people don't. You may overshoot a bit. You never go into overweight, but you may overshoot a bit, right? But if you can then hold that and you can get everything to recalibrate and your metabolism goes back to normal and your hormones go back to normal and you don't restrict during this point, what they say, and the Minnesota study did this beautifully, is that generally speaking, after 12 months of restoration, every single person that was put on the Minnesota study had gone back to their previous pre-restrictive mm. weight. So mm. we know that the body generally has a place where it likes to be, where it wants to be. And I always find it quite fascinating because you talk to people all the time 
in clinic and I know some of them some people have gone when they've recovered and they've come back and I've got one I've got a lovely story actually um of somebody I worked with quite a few years ago and she she you know she held herself 10 kilos below where she wanted to where her body wanted to be because in her head that was where she looked good and it took us a while but she was great and she followed the process she did she did take a while but she did it and actually she actually only got her period back earlier this year but she sent me a picture of um a baby scan at the weekend and she that's all she ever wanted was to have a baby and I am so happy and she said to me it's so ridiculous I basically had to get back to the weight that I had dropped from in order for my body to work properly and for me to have what I've wanted which is to have a family like she's desperate for a family Mm. and so I think like it's funny because most people that develop an eating disorder like I don't know about you Rory but I was never overweight to begin with so like you drop Mm. but you your body kind of has probably been where it wanted to be in the first, not always, but has wanted to be in the first place. And you sort of have to go back to that. And you sort of then go back and think, God, what, what, what have I done? Like, why have I wasted so much energy and time in trying to hold onto Mm. something that never delivered? It never delivered the promise that it gave you. Mm. And and I think maybe there, Rini, it's it's worth us investigating again from a a behavioral point of view, because this is the side of things that I really love it's exploring that idea of fear but because a lot of people use the the term at the start a lot of people are very fearful about weight restoration but because i always say to individuals most of our fears are are they're an illusion based on a threat okay so if we actually look at the premise of fear fear is a protective mechanism it's to protect us to stop getting hurt or stop getting into trouble so that's great. I want that fight or flight response when I see that great white shark fin swimming towards me, or I want that fight or flight response if someone you know pulls a knife on me and wants to mug me. That's normal. But a lot of people get that same response when it comes to that idea of weight restoration. And something that I do is, again, we'll, we'll discuss this premise of fear. And so something that I love is the idea of recognizing the fear and then redirecting our focus in order to overcome it. Well, where do we redirect our focus on? Onto that desired outcome. Because with that beautiful example that you've just used, Rini, I mean, what a beautiful goal to be aiming for as a a young woman with a disordered history looking at at childbirth. I mean, there's nothing really more powerful than that. That is such a beautiful story. And I've, I've got an expression that I use with people is that what we need to learn and recognize is that often that path that has fear attached to it, that's the actually the one that we need to take. We really, as individuals, let fear limit us. And this way it comes back to evidence. So again, I love talking to people about that idea of weight restoration. And, and what's beautiful is because it does take a little, you know, it takes trust. These clients are coming to us and they it takes that time to build that trust. But when they do, you know, the amount of emails that I get where, let, let's say recently, last week, I had a, a young girl who I'm going to say was a carbophobe, right? I see her three-day food diary log that, that, that we get clients to send us. And there's basically nothing in there. It's just very high volume fibrous foods. So again, we, we discussed the premise of carbs and why she's decided to take them out. And we actually look at the evidence behind carbohydrates and how damn awesome they are. And I help her tweak her training plan and we start introducing carbohydrates back in. And I get this amazing email from her being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how incredible my energy levels are. I can't believe how awesome my workouts have been. Again, th- this is the idea of challenging fear 
working on taking action, right? We need to take that path that has fear attached to it. We need to make some of those leaps. And once you start building that evidence that says, oh my gosh, this is no way near as scary as I thought it was going to be, that is the fuel that will motivate you to continue taking those steps forwards. It's also about turning up for yourself, right? Because often the fear, said, the fear is about the potential judgment or the potential yes. criticism you feel you're going to get, but of mm. course you're not, it's coming from within you. So mm-hmm. if you know you can turn up for yourself, like that's something I've learned over the last few years. Like I know that I can turn up for myself. So I will go into scenarios that are fearful for me, not necessarily to do with food and exercise, but maybe to do with work or to do with relationships Mm. or or whatever. I will turn up for myself. So I don't have any fear now in going into scenarios that feel uncomfortable because if I mess up, if it goes wrong, if it doesn't work out, I know that I can turn up for myself and have my back. And that fundamentally is when you know that you are fully recovered. When Mm. you have that total embodiment of your body no longer represents you, as in it no longer defines you as a person. So you have that whole body-mind experience. But also, you know that no matter what you go through, you can turn up for yourself and you can dismiss the judgment and the guilt and the the rejection and, and whatever it is. And, and for me, like that's the journey that people need to be on. Not when I get to X weight, everything's going to be okay. Because it's not like the number of times we get asked the question, like, well, what weight do I need to be to get my period back? Well, I don't know mm. because I don't know. Mm. But what I do know is if that's the only focus you have, or like Chris, you and I have had this discussion of people that, you know, what when can I get when can I start running again? Well, if that's the only focus you have, you're not going to go on that proper recovery journey to mm. understand what it feels like to be completely liberated. And I think that like, term embodiment that you exactly. use at the start, really. Yeah, it, it's exactly. not just physical restoration, it's the mental aspect as well. And and probably one of the challenging, probably one of the, the most challenging aspects is as you quite rightly said, as a young girl from your experience, yes, you might have restored on paper. So, you know, people can send you out the door and be like, yep, yeah, tick, you've restored. But, but mentally, you know, cognitively, and from a behavioral point of view, that can actually take quite a lot of work to, to put into. And again, you don't really, you can't really enable the brain to re- you know, re- become rewired to kind of re, you know, kind of reframe or anything until oh, it's you feeling sure as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, yeah. you know, and the brain is one of the last organs to restore. So if you're always holding yourself, like I always, you know, I always find it interesting that we get so many people that hold themselves just at that very bottom, at socially acceptable BMI, because mm. that's what you know society says is 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 good right mm. and yet if you can get them to just move that little bit more forward often that little switch will turn on and the brain will fully start to engage and then the work that we can do with them behaviorally is really important i know like when i work with them um, you guys you i know Roy, you know him when i work with john arroyo who's a, mm. an incredible incredible practitioner in in eating disorders we often work together in that I will help the individual restore physically and he'll say to me I know she's gonna or he's gonna stop at this but we need to collectively get them to this because if we get them there I know 
I can do my work. And, and it's kind of like that collaborative approach that we always like mm. anyway. But it makes it's, it's funny how a couple of kilos can make such a difference to how you think. And yet a couple of kilos is what people tend to hold back on because in their head, it's socially acceptable from a physical point of view. That tipping point, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I love listening to this because I'm just, it's, I, I'm just picturing so many conversations that I've had over the last number of months of, of that moment where, you know, you kind of, you go on to that, that, that next call and it's like that shift has happened and they've got to that point and the dialogue's completely changed. And you're conversely, you know, they, they're at that point where they're kind of, they're just there's that clarity and in the, in the words they use and the vocabulary they're using, their, their approach to the way they're training, to living life. But again, it is that getting above that kilo, two kilo above what they're, com- they're comfortable with. It's, it's that's just the hard bit. But once they get there, once you get there and go beyond that, I think when it comes to training, if you're playing with those such fine lines, you're always going to be walking that fine edge, that fine line. And if you want to do more with your body, you're always going to want to, obviously those shifts are going to have to continue to, you know, you're going to have to continue to play with this. And I think what people are obviously doing is what they're going to be a seesawing. I mean, really, do you find this? And Rory, I probably find this, that you, although we have so many wins, you have a lot of people who will do seesaw back and forth on, on that line. They kind of, they, do they get their period? Then they might lose their period. They'll get their period. They'll lose their period. And it's because they're trying to be very, they're, they're trying to perfect it almost. They're trying to be too efficient. And obviously in this day and age with the clean foods and the clean, clean living that we can have, it's, it's very, it's, it can become obsessive just to be efficient, but it's a sense, essentially you want, to, you want them to have to go beyond that to then be able to see what else they can do with themselves and not just their training, but in their lifestyle. I mean, I think I know there's a couple of our girls that are currently right now, they've they've achieved it and then they're kind of just seesawing and it's because they're being too, they're trying to almost be too exact with with what they're they're seeing, what they're doing. I would say in those cases, it's more about the fact that the body image is still the issue. Yeah. 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 If I'm honest, I think like I think I think, you know, like if 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 somebody is still holding back and restricting then of course their body is going to work in the same way. So until you are free of that need to be a number, free of that need to have a certain physique, you, you can't be free and your body, you will teeter. And, and that's, this is not about us. So like, no, nobody here is overweight or anything like, you know, we're all slim athletic individuals. And so we're not talking about, kind of becoming overweight and accepting that that's not what we're talking about we're talking about being a place where your body wants to be and I think there's this common misconception that to be a really good athlete you have to be super super lean and yet we've seen it time and time and time and time again that actually that's not sustainable and those athletes don't continue to to actually perform well for a very long period of time so I think a lot of that is still people who again go back to what we're saying just now that their motivation is to maybe go back to their sport and they think by getting their period back or getting their testosterone levels back they can go back to their sport but then they don't change they haven't changed their mindset and they haven't changed they haven't understood why they ended up back that end up in that place in the first first place so I think that's the bit that's really important and as like Rory said it's almost often where we fall down, I think, as a nation in terms of our services to these individuals is that, you know, a lot of the people that come to us, they have had previous support and help, but maybe the support and help has been to a point where that person physically, in inverted commas, might tick a box, 
but actually emotionally and psychologically they haven't they haven't got there so yeah i mean that was quite a big discussion in terms of like um i suppose it's a really important from my point of view it's a really important conversation um because it's the one that people don't often have mm. yeah it's the one that it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with people because what we're saying is potentially you might have to go above where you want to go to to actually end up where you need to mm. which is never a nice conversation to have when you're working with somebody who's incredibly fearful but if you can trust the process then we have shown time and time and time and time again it's worth it and I think that's that's the bit I kind of want to end on I think is that it is incredibly frightening but it's only frightening because of your perceived threat and if you can handle that and turn up for yourself and know that you can handle it you'll do all right Amen to that, Mrs. M. By that. Right, guys, that's it for this week. And we will be back again next week. Maybe we'll we'll kind of go a bit more and explore into the kind of body image and head down the the why do we binge eat, why do we emotionally eat? We'll we'll head down that road and uh kind of I think we've got two more there's more there, isn't there? Left of, yeah. of this series. And so I think it'd be really nice to kind of maybe continue this theme for the next two and then We'll have a little break and come back with a lot more exciting things to talk to you in a few months' time. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Later. And that's a wrap for another episode. Thank you so much to our fabulous sponsor, Simprove Limited, without whom this series would not be possible. Their beliefs about getting the most out of life align so well with all we do here at Train Brave. And it's with their support we're able to reach more of you to help promote a sustainable lifestyle and enable you to start feeling better from within. Taking care of gut health is important for all, but do seek professional medical opinion if you need advice. If you want to try Simprove, head to the Simprove website and use code TRAINBRAVE15 for 15% off your first order. And don't forget, if you like what you listen to, please do rate this podcast and subscribe too. 